This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite executive coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week, we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you've set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Tom Feltenstein, CEO and founder of Power Marketing Academy, a leading consulting firm that serves and educates businesses in the industries of retail, hospitality, and service. As Ray Kroc's disciple, he began his career with McDonald's, rising up to become a senior-level marketing executive. He served as senior vice president for an international billion-dollar advertising agency, Bozell Advertising. A renowned speaker, well-known coach, trainer, and strategist, Tom's also a widely published author and has written 14 books. Tom received acclaim for his book, Uncommon Wisdom, from Larry King, traded barbs on the David Letterman show, argued the waste of running ads on the Super Bowl on Fox News pregame show, and has shared his insights in interviews with U.S. News and World Report, Lou Dobbs, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Entrepreneur Magazine, and other media. Tom espouses a mantra that all you need for success can be found within your own four walls and your neighborhood. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Tom and learn how he defines success and the lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you're looking for. I'm really excited to welcome Tom Feltenstein to the phone today. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. As I always love to start off, I really want you to tell our listeners more about who you are and what you do. I've read a bio, and that's great, but hearing from you what you're passionate about, what you're working on, and who you are always means so much more. Well, that's a tough one. I'm from Missouri. (laughs) <laughs> I love how you say it. Well, it's, if you're a native, it's Missouri. If right. not, it's Missouri. I, uh, my first uh, part of my career was McDonald's Corporation, where I had rose up to be the marketing guy. And I still love two all-beef patties and the Happy Meal. I did open the first Ronald McDonald House in October 1974 in Philadelphia. And there's over 300 of them at this moment. I then got involved in a, the largest ad agency where I went in as a senior guy. That was a very fascinating experience after having agencies report to me at McDonald's. So the whole advertising arena and marketing has always been my major forte. And I've written 14 books. Probably half of them have been on marketing. And the other half have been just kind of inspirational, spiritual just covering a whole bunch of other stuff. I started my own business uh, several years ago and have a strategic marketing company, and we do strategy for companies uh, 
shoot from Disney to Texaco to Hyatt to uh, Smallins, just all, all, all across the board. I do about 20, 25 motivational speeches a year all over. And as a matter of fact, just came back from Brazil. It was kind of cool. It's just a fun life. It's just as you get older, and I'm I'm old, it's time and grade. It's like becoming a general in business. So you kind of get to pick and choose a little bit who you want to work with. And I love the speaking. In fact, I just finished before the call doing a strategic planning session for a company. Recently, I did the sermon of my church. Three weeks later, I did the commencement address at the second largest university in Florida. And a week later, I did improv. Now, how's that for nuttiness? Which one was the most fun? Well, I was scared of improv. I, I don't ever get nervous, but I was, I was a little, it was amateur night, and I had 13 minutes, and it was a, it was a little hairy, but uh, probably it? the commencement address I enjoyed the most with the kids. Speaking to them, helping them go into the, yeah. go into the world anew. And I went, I looked at a lot of other commencement addresses, and Steve Jobs, yeah. the one he did at Stanford, which is, you can Google, yep, is phenomenal. Yes, that one is amazing. So I went and I listened to quite a few, you know, just to see what these other people had said. And I'll tell you something. This is interesting. I never graduated from college. And when the president called me to speak, he says, I want to give you an honorary doctorate of law. And I said, well, sir, I never graduated from college. And he made this statement. He says, it's not really about a college degree. It's really about what you gave back to society, and that's what counts. That blew me away. That's really great. It sounds like you've given back a lot at this point. I've looked through. You've written 14 books. I want to talk a little bit more about some of that as we continue. What I'm curious about, why advertising and marketing for you? What was it about that that really had you interested from the beginning? No idea. Everything that I've done, I never had any plans. I never planned to be a speaker I never planned to be a writer. I never planned. As a matter of fact, my first, well, besides being a teenager and bailing hay on the farm in our little town of Missouri and running a jackhammer and delivering furniture and all that stuff, I took the Dale Carnegie course when I was 19. My dad went for the first couple of sessions. And uh, I, I don't know what would happen in there. Maybe that was a, the foundation. I, I, I'm not sure. And then I joined Toastmasters when I was 21, and I became president of our chapter. And how that happened, I don't know. And then I went to work for a company in Atlanta that was like Sam's Club, where you paid $3 to become a member. It's way before Sam's or any membership stores. I went and they hired me. They said, you're a PR person. You're going to do public relations. Well, I'd never done PR before. After the first month there, I joined the Chamber of Commerce in Atlanta, which was the largest chapter in the country, and rose up to the top. Well, anyway, going back to the membership thing. So there were tons of stores in the U.S. I did one in Atlanta. Then they promoted me to have a a dozen and so forth and so on. Then they asked me if I would move to Kansas City, the world headquarters, and be head of marketing. I said, well, that's kind of interesting. So it just evolved over time. There's nothing that I could really pinpoint at, at all. It just happened. And you were open, obviously, to letting these opportunities show up for you. A lot of people, I think, try to plan so hard, they miss what's around them and miss the possibilities. Yeah, I had nothing. I, I planned nothing at all. I like that. I like that. I also, I'm in, great co- I'm in great company then, being in Toastmasters, it sounds like. I've been with Toastmasters the last 
four or five years, and I'm the president of a club. I've been the president of a club, vice president of education, and area director. Wow. Love it. I love it. I love watching new members grow. I think it's amazing to see people who come in and can barely say their name in front of a group to get to a point where they're you know, giving speeches and taking leadership roles. It's been so rewarding for me. So it's, I'm glad I'm in right. good company with you on that one. It's awesome to hear. I want to know, and I think our listeners are going to want to know, what it was like to work with Ray Kroc. How did you end up at McDonald's and working with Ray Kroc? What was that like? Well, I got recruited. It was a spiritual adventure. He was tough, smart, good. And one of the things that he did, and this is for the whole business world, to be successful, you have to have systems. And he set up systems because he knew he was going to hire young kids. So the burger was done this way, this, everything's a system. It's like when a plane flies. That pilot knows exactly where he's going, how he's going to get there. And all the great companies, Starbucks, Cheesecake Factory, Apple, I mean, they all have a systems in place. And that's where you succeed, is having systems. Was that the biggest takeaway of working with him was look? the idea of needing to create systems? That was one of the very big ideas, yeah. And being methodical, thinking things through. We were sitting around on the Happy Meal stuff. So I was thinking back in 1910, there was this thing called a Cracker Jack box. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, what was inside that was a little toy. So all of a sudden evolved in the Happy Meal was the little toy. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. But I also learned how to be remarkable. And in my speeches, I talk about being remarkable, because I think that's what makes the difference in everyone's lives, is how to be remarkable. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, how to be remarkable. I'm not asking you to give us your entire speech, of course. We don't have time for that today, and I don't think I can afford you in terms of hiring you to give a (laughs) keynote. But I would love to hear a little bit more about what does it take to be remarkable. Well, I'll tell you a couple of stories. Fantastic. General Earl Hollick, 10, 12 years ago in Iraq, was being interviewed by Charlie Gibson, uh, one of the talk show hosts. And Charlie was over in Iraq, and he was with the general. And the general had 5,000 troops, and they were, guys like 8, 10 miles out ready to go in and attack. So Charlie's there talking to the general, and he said, General, do you have any hobbies? Well, I thought that was pretty, wasn't a cool statement. And the general said, matter of fact, I do have a hobby. And Charlie says, well, what is it? He says, I take pictures of my soldiers every day, and I send to their moms with a letter telling them how proud I am to be serving with them in the United States Marine Corps and what a wonderful job you did in raising your child. Wow. Now that's remarkable. That is remarkable. Totally remarkable. A friend of mine about a year ago is driving off the parking lot, just bought a Lexus. She pushed a button on the radio and rock and roll came on, soul and then country and western. Her three favorite stations were already programmed on her car. She, she couldn't believe it. So she gets home, gets calls the dealer, and asks for the GM, general manager. She says to him, sir, you have all my favorite stations programmed on my car. I love the car, but how'd you do it? He says, well, it's very simple. He says, when you traded in your car, why wouldn't we listen to how you had your radio already programmed? And why wouldn't we do that when you drive your car off the lot? That's remarkable. I said, man, that is so cool. That is so cool. I was giving a speech here locally down here in Palm Beach where I live, Florida. I was talking about being remarkable. And these were all retail merchants. That was an early morning breakfast. Around 4 o'clock, my uh, secretary comes in my office and says, there's a man out here. He's got this huge basket of stuff. 
says, I don't even know what's in it. Uh, so I said, well, bring him in. And he says, I wanted to give you this big box of goodies. I said, why? I said, who, who are you? He says, well, I heard your speech this morning, and I wanted to be remarkable. I'm the general manager of Saks Fifth Avenue. Wow, that's a nice basket to get. You imagine how many times <laughs> I've told that story. That's awesome. Or the, or the time that I'm at the Ritz-Carlton in San Francisco, and I flew to Maui to give a speech, and I left my computer at the Ritz, and I called. I said, I need it in two days. I'm giving my speech. They said they'll send, they'll send it over to me. The next day, there's a knock on my door, and there was the concierge personally delivering my computer. Brought it oh, the concierge from the Ritz-Carlton. Not the yes. current series from where you were staying at the current hotel. Wow, so she got a trip out of it. She didn't mind bringing she it to She flew you. over <laughs> to give it and then That's flew remarkable. back. That's remarkable. It reminds me of stories we hear about Southwest and what they do for their customers. I've heard some stories where they've had um, cause, you know, folks flying on their planes that had family emergencies that the, you know, the person on the plane didn't even know about in Southwest, turned the plane around, brought them back to the gate, got them off the plane, already had them booked and ticketed to their next destination and, you know, checked in on them later and, and I know. stories like that. It's remarkable, and so many organizations are not focusing on customers or on employees, and they don't understand what it takes, that it's not even that hard to be remarkable. Because some of the stories you just told me were but like, you know, the people, little things. I, I ask in my speeches, uh, tell me something that you've done remarkable. Well, we give good service. We do this. No one really understands the remarkability of things. Ten years ago, I'm at a PGA golf tournament. I'm at the place where they're all hitting balls and everything. And it was really cool and watching all these great players hit. But there was Jack Nicklaus on the side, and he wasn't hitting. I said, that is so strange. So I walked up to him. I said, Mr. Nicklaus, why aren't you hitting the balls? He says, oh, I'm waiting for my coach. Here you got the best guy in golf, and he's not hitting because he's waiting for his coach. Who's your coach? Who's everybody's coach out there? We all need a coach. Amen to that. And uh, I was in Estes Park, and Pope John was in, uh, this was about 10, 12 years ago, was in Denver and was coming to Estes Park to give a speech. They take off driving instead of flying, and about 30 miles outside of Denver, Pope John says to the driver, you know, it's been 30 years since I've driven. I'd like to drive rest of the way. So they pull over on the side of the road. Young man comes around, opens the door for the Pope and his white garb and everything. And all the cars are driving. The place was going crazy. Pope gets in the front seat. Driver comes and gets in the back. Pope takes off going 80 miles an hour. <laughs> and there's sirens. Oh, no. Pope pulls over. Cop gets out of the car. Walks up. Pope rolls down the window. The cop says, oh, your holiness, I am so sorry. I please forgive me. He runs back to his car. He says, calls his captain. He says, Captain, you won't believe what just happened. I stopped the most important person in the world. He says, you got the governor of Colorado? Way to go. He says, I got the biggie, the biggest of anybody. You got the president of the United States? He says, Captain, don't you understand? I told you I got the big guy. He says, well, who is he? He says, I'm really not sure, but he's got the Pope as a chauffeur. <laughs> I have to believe that one's a joke, but it was very, <laughs> I was like following along good. with bated breath. It's good though, isn't it? <laughs> it is really good. It is really good. Your humor is wonderful. And that's one of my favorites. That's a great story. You really, I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm like, okay, at one point I was trying to decide, 
Is this a story or a joke? You wonder. Well, what, you wonder. <laughs> where, 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 where in the heck am I going? It was good. I enjoyed it. It's remarkable. It is rem- <laughs> that is remarkable. What's the most remarkable thing you've ever done that you feel you want to share with us? Ronald McDonald House. Didn't take you long to answer that. I can see why that would be remarkable. What was it like to put that into place? Well, of course, it just wasn't me. A fellow from the Philadelphia Eagles called, and he says, my child has leukemia, and so many people that go can't afford a month's treatment and stay in a hotel the whole time. He says, we should open some type of a house, a place where they could stay for almost nothing or free. of." And long story short, the house and like I'm looking at the picture of my office right now. So it was called the Ronald McDonald House. We always open them a block from Children's Hospital. And there's over 300 now worldwide. Wow, that's a lot of children's hospitals. And we charge $5 a night. Wow. And if they didn't have the 5 bucks, it was free. I, I would like to go back and, you know, I'm going to make it a point because I travel so much. I'm going to make it a point to go in one. Oh, they'd be honored, I'm sure. I'm that would be remarkable for them. I'm actually going to do it. That's awesome. Thank you. That, that just that made the whole conversation. Wonderful. Take a picture. Send it along. Love to see it. Okay, I'm going to totally change course. I was watching your interview with Larry King about your book, and it was um, it was the uncommon the book on uncommon. Um, I can't talk. Your book. Uncommon on, wisdom. Thank you. Uncommon wisdom. I'm not sure where I've lost my tongue. You said something that I hadn't, I've heard before. I'd heard it from a business coach, but I just, whenever I hear it, I'm like, wow. I didn't realize how other people really had the same idea. The breakdown before the breakthrough. Do you remember saying that? Yeah, you got to have a breakdown before you have a breakthrough. And the reason I found that interesting is because, A, the first time I heard it was a few years ago, and I love it because when things aren't going so well, it must mean something good is about to happen. Oh, and that reminds me, maybe that's why I threw out my back yesterday. Maybe that's my breakdown before (laughs) some kind of breakthrough. So a good reminder. Thank you. But the reason I bring it up now and the reason I bring it up in this context of conversation is I was also reading recently that successful people really review their failures. And I'm going to use the word failure, going to air quote it because a lot of people don't like the word failure. I don't really like the word failure. But when something doesn't go as planned or we'll call it a failure, successful people really look at it and figure out why so that they don't do it again. And the breakdown before the breakthrough means that we've had those quote unquote maybe failures or some kind of breakdown. Can you tell us about maybe a breakdown that you've had before a breakthrough and what that was like and what what the results were? I'll tell you one thing first. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. Love it. I'm going to, do you mind if I quote you on that? Absolutely not. Thank you. No, absolutely, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought you you meant. (laughs) You can. I can. Absolutely. I've had tons of failures. I had a terrible failure in a marriage. I had a terrible failure at McDonald's. You, you, You want me to tell you what it I'll share it with you. Share it with us. Introducing breakfast, the pressure was on intense. Took a lot of money out of other day parts, out of lunch. I got called in one day and said, lunch is down 12%, which was our cash cow. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Well, the pressure was so heavy on breakfast that we needed to take the money and put it in breakfast. Took my eye off the ball and it was millions upon millions of dollars that cost the company. Lesson learned. Was there a breakthrough that came from that? Yeah, it was to never, even when you're introducing a new product, just don't ever take your eye off of what's making you money while you're doing it. Talk to us about your four walls of neighborhood marketing approach. 
wanted to know more about what that was. It sounds really fascinating, and I'm thinking that people listening can learn a lot about marketing from this, and it sounds like an uncommon, some uncommon wisdom, maybe. It's all about the four wells. Here's one thing I'll, I want to share with you first, so take a second, then I'll get there. Uh, I predict next year YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn are going to all merge together. And they asked me to come up with a name for it. And I did. And what I'm going to call it is you twit face. <laughs> anyway, I couldn't. I had to You had to. <laughs> you see, it's all in your four walls. I don't care if it's corporate headquarters, retail, whatever it is. And even if you're walking into a corporate headquarters and there's a uh, receptionist or whatever, your front line is your bottom line, the servers, whoever is that first person. You see, service fulfills a need, and hospitality fulfills people. You can get service from a vending machine or an ATM, but not hospitality. And when you're in the four walls of any place, it's really customer engagements are your 30-second ads. People always ask me about branding, and I used to have all these fancy branding conversations. It boils down to one sentence to me now. Branding is how does your brand make people feel about themselves? To me, that's what branding is all about. This is something that I've asked thousands of people and no one's ever got it. What's the number one responsibility of running your business? It's recruiting. You see, business is no different than sports. The team's what the best players wins. And that's what it's all about. In fact, Red Aubach, the great coach of uh, the Boston Celtics, said, uh, if you hire the wrong people, all the fancy management techniques in the world won't bail you out. The most important decisions I make are hiring decisions. And I think that the more money you spend on recruiting and training, the less you need to spend on marketing. Business is a game. You know, and sports players become skillful at handling the ball. But as bosses, your skill is defined by how you handle conversations. And you... You know, you score points by having conversations that make a difference. To the degree that you become masterful at conversing, you can become a star in your business. So I always ask people when hiring, do you hire to fill a slot or to make a difference? You're giving me so many quotes right now. Well, they're not quotes so much. They're about to become uh, quotes. (laughs) They're great. It's just what I think. You know, it's like the most expensive person you'll ever hire is the one you have to fire. These are, well, I realize what you're saying aren't what you consider quotes, but when I play them back in my head and picture them, it's reusing them, which I will attribute to you. They are quotes and they make a lot of sense and they completely go alongside with all of what I talk about and write about and speak about. I'm doing a a talk tomorrow I call um, Creating High Performance Teams and I've created this epic EPICC model, or not model, but these pillars for high-performance teams, and EPIC is how I've created the acronym, and a lot of what you're saying falls into one of those five, and you're just saying it in such great ways. What I say is most companies have difficulty finding top people because they hire individuals for what they know and then fire them for who they are. That is so powerful. So powerful. Because, you know, most people think you have to find a need and fill it, but you have to do more than that. You have to find your audience and serve it. Hmm. Speechless. Well, it's it's really true. You know, we're all in a caring business, and some people are as warm as sunshine and as welcoming as a sunrise. And I always say, you know, hire sunshine, and your net worth is determined by your self-worth. I call our employees internal customers, and it's all about the internal customer self-esteem. That's truly what it's all about. And I don't think that you can expect long-term changes in people when you train only at orientation and then maybe, what, two or three times a year thereafter. So what I'm always 
trying to articulate is always overtrain because most of your employees will underlearn and over forget. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and same with feedback. The annual review process is something that I find to be quite ridiculous. Yeah, feedback is the breakfast of champions. The Gallup poll not too long ago, it mentioned that engaged workplaces yielded a 38% increase in productivity and a 27% increase in profitability. Yes, I'm familiar with the Gallup studies because I've been quoting them for a while now when we talk about engaged employees only being at about 30%. That's a huge problem. And it's fixable. You remember uh, about Henry Ford, and he surprised himself in America, and his problem was just like everybody's was to turnover. So back in uh, 1914, to keep 10,000 line workers employed, Ford had to hire 60,000 workers each year at 80 cents a day. Well, that made his labor cost prohibitive. So old Henry, uh, what he did was raise the daily wage from 80 cents a day to five bucks. And experts, even old Henry himself, thought profits would plummet. Instead, they doubled because almost nobody left. Instead of having to recruit and train 50,000 replacement workers, Ford suddenly had a waiting list of eager potential workers. I always ask my guests, so I'm going to ask you the question, even though you've given us so much in terms of what I think we we could guess how you would define success, but what is... If you had to define it, and I get that these definitions aren't static and they're going to change over time, and, and success is it's a, it's a moving target, right? You, says it's, you said success is not final, which I love failure is not fatal. What is success? How does, how does one know when they have reached success in any area of their life? I'm not really saying it has to be business or love or spirituality or health. It, it could be in all areas, different areas. But how, does, how would you say you know when something's been successful? You know, we were talking about this in the meeting before this phone call. And to me, success is, it's an inside job. It's about love and kindness. And my gift is working on Tom. The more that I'm at peace with who I am, then that's what I have to give away to others. And I can't think of any of anything that is more special to take each day in a simple way. It's really not about money or power or position. It's just celebrating being alive, uh, being content. It's just about love and kindness, and it's about what you give away. Was this a definition that took a while for you to come to? Did you learn it from someone else? What's the story behind this for you? Well, I was raised in a very spiritual family, and stayed with me for a long time. It kind of snuck away. And uh, But I know that the greatest gift that I have to give is is working on Tom. And the more I work on me, then that's my gift to others. And how would you suggest someone who maybe didn't grow up in that type of house, a spiritual house or a home where personal development was important or the idea of working on oneself was, was the ideal, how would you tell someone that's never really given it Tomorrow morning, whoever listens to this, when you wake up, I want you to sit up in your bed and close your eyes, and I want you to meditate for 30 minutes. Then I want you to go out and walk for 30 minutes, and I want you to eat healthy. I want you to find a faith that is important to you. Spirituality really isn't in a physical structure or a church. But it may be, to begin with, it might help a lot of people. And, I mean, I went to Sunday school from till I was 16 or whatever. I go to church probably twice a month. 
it's it's a hard thing to answer because it comes to people in many different ways. But uh, there is a higher power, and just turn turn your turn it over to God. That that's about how I would say it. And I agree with you. It was just a few years ago that I really started to come into my own from a spirituality perspective. I grew up in a Jewish home, and we did a lot of not weekly traditional, but I went through, you know, religious studies, and I had my bat mitzvah, and I went through all of that. I understand a good part of the religion, but then after college, living on my own, I decided it wasn't, an organized religion isn't what I needed. I was considering myself spiritual, but didn't really know what that meant, and over the last Mm -hmm. few years, I have found more of a spiritual side within universe, for me, universe spirituality, and I know that there's a higher power out there, so for anyone who hasn't found that yet, it's never too late, and it doesn't have to be, like you were saying, it doesn't have to be in the four walls of any organization, or it might be, right? There's a lot of ways to go out there and find some kind of spiritual side. And for me, it has been a huge difference. And like I said, it's not about God or church or synagogue or anything like that, but there is something about uh, the connection you have and the understanding and the deepening that you have when you do have some level of spirituality. I meditate. I'm about a a 10-minute-a-day meditator. 30 minutes is a little hard for me, but it's just something to build up to, you know, if you've never done it before. I think it's fantastic. I love the idea of going out, being in nature, walking. So these are great, great pieces. And yoga. Yoga is wonderful. Once my back is not wrenched anymore, I need to do some yoga. Right. Yep, yoga's great. There's so many things. Even when I'm on the spin bike in the gym, sometimes I get into that kind of place that feels a little euphoric, um, which surprises me because I don't ever – while I work out, I don't think of myself as someone who gets like a runner's high because I don't run. I think running is horrible and I detest it. But every now and then I get on the spin bike and I get to that place. I'm like, oh, I think this is what they mean by runner's high. I'm just (laughs) running. It's a matter of finding that that thing. So this has all been really, really great. I appreciate these definitions, and your stories have been fantastic. Outside of the books you've written, I would love to hear, um, I always like to have everyone leave us with at least one or two books that they really recommend everyone read, or whether it's personal development, business, love, life, I'm not really specific. Well, one of my favorite books is The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Everybody must read that book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. What is it about that book? So he was a, a, a triathlon who had kind of lost his way and uh, partially spiritual. It, it's just an awesome book. Now, if we want world peace, we must let go of our attachments and truly live like nomads. That's where I nomad at you and you nomad at me. <laughs> Love it. That way, <sighs> there'll surely be no madness on the planet. You were probably a lot of fun at a dinner party. Oh, I'm a hoot. <laughs> I bet you are. I haven't agreed to I'm a. I'm absolutely a hoot. I haven't even started. <laughs> well, and I mean, we got to go. I know. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> We're going to do this again sometime, and we'll just have to, you know, just have to have a joke, a joke session. I bet you did a fantastic job in your improv. I, I don't ever use foul language, and I, uh, I, I, I did okay. You have, um, you have a Vimeo channel, right? That is that. What you you use yeah, to Vimeo, put your videos out there? If anyone w- wanted to go on the Vimeo, that that's that that's really the best place. Some right. really cool stuff on there. Yeah, I'll make sure that when I type up the show notes for your episode, that we put links for the sites that have the videos where you you know you're putting your good stuff out. So make sure I have those, and we'll put your Vimeo link and anything else out okay. there that you want you want to direct people to. I love to be able to do that. Well, it's been a pleasure. I agree completely. This has been fantastic. I have used all my time up with you today. Maybe we can have another conversation. And I really, really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take Take care. You too, Tom. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.